Hub Hopper Originals. This is his first ball. Through the gap on the offside. Listen to it. क्या हाल चाल आप सुन रहे हैं द क्रिकेट न्यूज डॉट कॉम पॉडकास्ट विद मी सुमेत बिल्की आई होप यू ऑल आर डूइंग वेरी वेल शाउट आउट टू ईच वन ऑफ यू फॉर कीपिंग योर स्पिरिट्स अप इन दीज टफ टाइम्स इवन इफ इट मींस होल्डिंग अ रिक्रिएशनल स्पिरिट इन योर हैंड मोर ऑफन देन यूजल डील विद इट वन वे द अदर राइट On episode 6 of the podcast we talk about Pakistan cricket board's full steam ahead approach the latest from the West Indies versus England test series which I'm so excited about and not one but two guests on the show double trouble indeed today as Tim Cutler from Emerging Cricket and cricketnews.com's principal correspondent and cricket writer Sandeepan Banerjee join me to chat about associate cricket China's approach on the game and growing the sport in indigenous communities around the world You're listening to episode 6 of the cricketnews.com podcast. The big news from the world of cricket this week was a total of 10 Pakistan cricketers testing COVID-19 positive before they assembled to get on their flight to England. Initially, three players, Haider Ali, Haris Rauf and Shadab Khan were revealed to have tested positive before a further seven names joined that list including Fakhar Zaman, Imran Khan, Kashif Bhatti, Mohammad Hafeez, Mohammad Hasnain, Mohammad Rizwan and Wahab Riaz. In addition, one member of the support staff, the team Monsieur Malang Ali who also tested positive. Apparently all of them were asymptomatic. Aur is announcement ke baad Mohammad Hafeez ne khud apni test karai from a personal capacity aur result nikla negative. PCB ke CEO Wasim Khan ne kaha as an individual he has a right to take a private test. but he should have spoken to us first because he has created a problem for us yaar pehli baat we don't even know how this virus really works even now ek din positive dusre din negative on a more serious note there's chaos everywhere right and in chaos there's bound to be some errors and a resulted confusion but yaar hafiz bhai tweet karne se pehle ek phone to kar lo apne board ko i feel so bad for pcb After the news of the 10 players being COVID-19 positive broke, Wasim Khan's immediate reaction was that the tour to England will go ahead. Also, it's very important to note that PCB had unveiled this massive five-year strategic plan for the game's governance with the aim to make PCB one of the quote-unquote top performing and most credible organizations in the world, basically to lift the image of Pakistan, build the brand, etc. So it seems like the PCB is done being a sleeping giant and keen to push forward and build the brand of Pakistan cricket. Well with all the uncertainties of the world and the tensions related to the country it seems like an absolute challenge but for the cricketing fraternity right to see Pakistan cricket team at its full force would be quite incredible immediately however it would be more interesting to see how Pakistan shape up the squad ahead of their tour to England with all of these notable absentees or not speaking of England West Indies who are already there ahead of their three test series with the hosts seem to be training really hard. They continue to play intra squad matches and it seems like some of the bowlers are really enjoying their time out there. Raymond Reefer the other day picked up 5 wickets in 11 deliveries. Now that's a killer spell. England also entered their biosecure environment on Thursday. The first test begins on July the 8th. Damn if it was on the 4th would have been so amazing no imagine the headlines may the fourth be with cricket wow by the way that's a star wars reference if you don't get it uh, we just can't be friends okay so swiftly moving on from me talking to myself in my room to the guests on tonight's show 
Now news came in last week of Cricket Australia and ICC officials saying that the T20 World Cup now is highly unlikely to be held in its original schedule. It's pretty much clear that the boards will have to now look at bilateral series to get their finances back and to just get the cricket going. And on episode 1 of this show, sports lawyer Nandan Kamath spoke about how the presence of an event ensures that money reaches the grassroots and the absence of the same sucks out the finance of the whole cricket system. Do go back to listen to it after you're done with this episode by the way some great insights there. Going back to what we were talking about however in the absence of a world event and in lieu of the economic damages to the world of cricket in recent times what about our associate and affiliate nations for whom the ICC events are a a source of revenue a very important source of revenue and b a matter of great significance. How does the post covid time impact them or could this be a blessing in disguise for them? And my guests on the show will speak about this and also about China and Hong Kong cricket's continuous approach towards the game apart from Vivo and Oppo's commercial involvement in the game. Please welcome the founder of Emerging Cricket and former CEO of Hong Kong Cricket Tim Cutler and cricketnews.com's principal correspondent and freelance cricket writer Globe Trotter Sandeepan Banerjee. You're listening to the cricketnews.com podcast. Tim Sandeepan, thanks for coming guys. What's happening at your end? How's how's the lockdown treating you? It's okay. No, no complaints from me. Uh, my partner and I we were well, I guess lucky enough to uh, get in a, an overseas holiday just before lockdown. We landed in New Zealand for friends from from Hong Kong's wedding. Um, oh. It was the the okay. day we landed in New Zealand was when they announced that they were making anyone arriving the day after we arrived for for fourteen days. But, uh, lucky enough with right. my full time job and my partners both we were able to work from home and plug in, and that's fine. Uh, groceries and whatnot have been able to be delivered. So, look, it's just the two of us. I can see how many people are, are struggling with kids and jobs and shifts and people who've lost yeah. work and whatnot. So, you, yeah, you're going to get no no complaints from me. Life is life has been okay. Likewise, Sandeepan actually was in New Zealand as well. Uh, he was there, I think, covering the India New Zealand series, weren't you? And then you had to come through Singapore, didn't you, Sandeepan? How what was that yes. like? uh when i went uh, like when i went to uh, new zealand uh, my transit area was singapore only and when i came back the same airport looked like completely different you know it's 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 like one of those you know uh, one of those hollywood movies where the world is ending kind of a situation Jesus. in fact i was chatting with you and you uh, over there on whatsapp Like, I remember. Like I can't, I can't recognize the Changi Airport at this point. Everybody was wearing masks, and people were scared, and you know, it was, it was, it was quite terrible actually. I guess a big question from our point of view is what part does sport play in, in rebuilding the communities around it? Is that's the big question, and what yeah. sport will look like? Uncertainty. That's the word. I think that's the word that everyone has on their mind at the moment. What scale do you have things on? um what sporting entities survive out of this um how do you go back to rebuilding things again um and and while we could go on and on and on and talk about countries like india and australia um and new zealand and england the prominent cricket boards in you know in the world who who all of these guys have have an event to rely on from wherein you know the money comes in year on year and even if they don't have this event 
for 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 one calendar year case being you know case being the ipl um they'll be okay but there are countries around the world that that you know that that love the game as much but they do not really have a ton of resources to rely upon to get the money coming in what what are the associate countries going to do at this point of time you think tim well associate nations are in a an interesting position where if you look at the average associate, but anyone, let's talk about some of the names that we know, and, and Netherlands, Hong Kong, Canada, USA, Nepal, the majority of their income that comes in at the moment is made up of ICC grants, and the, yeah. the higher you are in the pecking order in, in tournaments and on the scorecard, which measures off-field metrics, you could be um, getting um, up to, towards and just over a million US a year. And then those countries also have a... Um, a responsibility under their associate membership is to also be getting other income. And the majority of that normally comes from local governments, as in national governments and whatnot. Yeah. So I, I, I think the advantage that associate nations will have is that they're not hinging their future, their financial futures on any huge commercial arrangements. You know, there are few exceptions when the likes of the Euro T20 slam being cancelled and that money still came in. So the likes of the Netherlands is actually going to have a really good year because they're not having to pay for tournaments, but that money still came in. But in general, the commercial agreements are year-by-year basis and probably sponsorships about shirts and whatnot, but it isn't the thing that is holding up the um, organization. So I think associate nations have, have had to make do with not a lot for a long time, and this won't mm. affect them too much. It's more the community around and whether the governments are still in positions to be um, paying the money in. Like, for example, Hong Kong, a lot of the money coming from government, there was a, a certain grant that was coming no matter what, but a lot of the other money was linked to programs. So if you run a, a, a community program, you then get paid from the government for that and the money flows through. But if you're not doing those programs, you're not having to pay coaches and therefore the money doesn't have to come through. And likewise with associate cricketers. I was just wondering uh, if uh, like, if the World T20 doesn't, doesn't take place this year, how big an impact mm. it will be on the teams, associate and affiliate teams which are participating in that, if team can highlight on this. Yeah, well... Um, the teams that, that qualify um, are then eligible for a tournament grant. Uh, I can't speak for what the, they are paid now, but when Hong Kong qualified for the World Cup, the World T20 back in, in 2016 in India, of course, they were grouped with Scotland, Zimbabwe, and Afghanistan in Nagpur. Um, that meant an additional 425000 US in, in funding. And I guess when you look at the might of any of the big four members, that's not a lot of money, but when your total... Um, income from the ICC is around the sort of 900 to a million dollar mark. You can imagine what difference that makes to a high performance program and the operations themselves. So that all comes out of the ICC's global funding that comes through from staff for the global rights and sponsorships with like Emirates and Greynickles and, and all of those sponsors you see around at global events. So if the event doesn't happen, um, or it's postponed, I'm, I'm not sure what will happen with the funding. I haven't been in a situation where that has happened before, but if that money isn't isn't paid now a lot of that will go towards uh, tours beforehand and training tours preparing for it so there might be a lot of things that won't already be spent money on but there also be the employment of coaches and maybe even upgrades to contracts that might have to be covered let's take a quick break on the cricketnews.com podcast on the other side tim and sandeepan chat about cricket in china beyond vivo and oppo's involvement stay tuned Welcome back to the cricketnews.com podcast. We are in conversation with Tim Cutler and Sandeepan Banerjee, two important storytellers of associate and affiliate cricket. 
Tim, you spent some time as the CEO of Cricket Hong Kong. Obviously, we know that HK and China have different sports teams because of the political and social makeup of the region. Now, in recent years, there's been tremendous growth in different sports from China, right? The NBA uh, has seen some impetus from there. Football as well has seen great amount of growth. But with cricket, you know, obviously, we, we look at Vivo and Oppo being huge contributors, right, to, to the yes. Indian cricket system at no, the moment. Basically. Um, both, owned, uh, both owned by the same company, by the way, as well. Yeah, both, yeah, both owned by the same company. Yes. But there are there are a lot of people who argue saying, you know what, that's purely commercial interest. There's no interest to develop cricket as a sport. But then I'd like to believe if they're looking at other sports and, and trying to, you know, build their football infrastructure, they're trying to, they, they have, they now have a Chinese player rep wearing the LA Lakers jersey. Um, you know, they're trying to dive into multiple other sports and it's clear that they look at sport as a proper soft power and 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 trying to use that to leverage their strength over the world. I sound like a conspiracy theorist right now. But, uh, <laughs> well, but don't worry. I, There's enough of you out there at the moment. You'll probably, no one will take any notice of you. Insane. Uh, insane, I swear. So where does cricket rank among all of this? And I'm surprised how, uh, you know, cricket hasn't figured yet among the grander scheme of things uh, in, in China's sports philosophy. What's your take on that? A couple of different points of view as to how cricket has developed or not developed. Uh, it's been played there a long, long time. Um, people, you know, like everywhere else in the world, it went where the British went. You know, Hong Kong has the parallel that since it was um, taken over by the British in 1841-42, that was the same time that the British Army decreed that there would be a cricket ground next to every British Army barracks in the world to, to keep their, uh, yeah. their soldiers fit. But over the years, similar to everywhere else, it's fallen by the wayside and other sports have taken over, where China has not really been so good at team sport in that time. Uh, you can see the amount of money that's being invested by the, the soccer, uh, soccer, football, um, colleges and academies there as well to build Chinese um, footballers. But it's really about building that kind of insight and kind of... Uh, you, game sense and from a cricket point of view it's, it's played quite extensively in, in international schools and the MCC um, f through their programs in partnership with Hong Kong and especially the Hong Kong Cricket Club who are basically a sister club of the MCC in, in the east they do a lot of work throughout international schools connecting and going to community outreach and there's a, a foundation called the Yang Foundation up there who um, also donates a lot of time and money to developing cricket programs in the local community. But the big thing is about China. And I know there's been a bit of a false start, but they, alongside um, their Olympic committee and the government, are investing now millions of dollars into rugby sevens. And, and when did they do that? They did that when rugby sevens became an Olympic sport. So until cricket is an Olympic sport, we're not going to see the Chinese government invest in a sport that they can't potentially win a medal in. And I know there's a whole different conversation here. We'll talk about Olympic inclusion and hopefully later. But that's going to be not the silver bullet, but it's going to be such a big thing for cricket. Now, the problem that cricket has is that it's never really invested its time and effort and put a flag in the sand. You know, the NFL has had a general manager, um, an American guy who, who was actually involved in uh, working with IMG in the early days of the IPL, so he knows cricket, but um, a, 
uh, Mandarin speaking American guy who's been stationed as GM of the NFL for a number of years. We know how deep the ties are with the NBA playing games there and having the connection yeah. with, with Chinese players. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. And I think cricket has yeah. always looked at it with too much of a short termist um, look. Uh, but look at the way that China is developing into the economic powerhouse that they are. There's nothing short termist about what the, the strategic plays that they're making around the world. You know, cricket needs to be thinking in other ways here to try and connect with China, the same way that Oppo and Vivo are for, for India and the subcontinent market. How was your experience, though, uh, you know, being the first person to, to, to sort of take charge in, in that space? Um, what were your challenges like and, and, and how did everything pan out? Um, it's, it's always easy, these things in retrospect, but to give a, a, an ambitious, passionate 33-year-old, that role was a big, a big not I would say risk, but it was a big step forward for a company or for an, sorry, an organization that had been rather conservative in its decisions and values but, but before that. And I mean, in terms of the, the business decisions that it, it had made. Um, and when I came in, we were riding a wave of, of great performances on the field. There was some great staff there on the, on the cricket side. So there was a chance to try and build something. Um, that was when we, we looked at the idea of the blitz and built from that. Um, but we're always fighting a battle locally about getting the game really recognised as a as a Hong Kong sport. And even though Hong Kong was um, sorry, cricket was Hong Kong's highest ranked sporting side. Um, we really struggled to get it to capture the the attention of, of people in Hong Kong because of the colour of a, the way that the national men's team looked. I think even though that the majority of the team learnt the game in in Hong Kong, were a lot of them were born in Hong Kong, a lot of them spoke Cantonese, a lot of them even had Chinese blood, but because their last names were, were, were Khan, um, um, or they were Wakazas or Nazakets, uh, it was a lot a lot harder. And I and I found that that. That was one of my biggest challenges. And if we could just, I'll tell a little analogy around, around that story in that something that really frustrated me because on the, on the football side and soccer, Hong Kong and China have this great rivalry because they're, they're, China's ranked above Hong Kong, but you know, they, they have a chances of knocking each other out in world cup qualifiers and they came against, came up against each other in world cup qualifiers. And the Hong Kong team is quite multicultural because a lot of, a lot of people come to play professional soccer in, in Hong Kong and, and they stay there and, and, and compete for the, the national team. And, and before the game, China put up a poster saying, you know, we need to watch out for, for the Hong Kong side because they're yellow, green, blue and black. And we, you know, we don't know how they're going to play. And the, and Hong Kong really Jesus reacted to that. Christ. That's yeah. Excuse me. Um, really reacted, really reacted to that. And, and look, it's always a, a translation issue with these things as well. So it sounds wow. worse when you when you translate it. But what Hong Kong did, oh, Hong oh. Kong gra- grabbed onto that and said, "How dare you speak about our, our team like this is this is Hong Kong? The, look around and see the multicultural nature of our society. This is Hong Kong. We're not going to take this kind of abuse, and we're gonna, we stand with Hong Kong. And the problem is, I you know I think that was just used as a bit of a a proxy argument in a bigger conversation around Hong Kong independence. And I learned a lot. Um, and I look back and I know, I know I made mistakes and things I'd like to have done better, but isn't, isn't that life? You know, I think that those two years, I'm really proud of what we did. The Hong Kong T20 blitz was a sandy nose having been there, but, um, um, 
putting that together and seeing the look on people's faces and, and, the, and the players to be able to play with and against some of the biggest stars in the world, but also that the local fans that never got to watch that standard of cricket before until we brought it to them with the Blitz is something that I'll for, forever be, be proud of. And it's really kind of started me on this um, unhealthy obsession with uh, with associate cricket. But uh, overall, it was, a, it was a great two years and I, I wouldn't swap it for for anything. There are some great stories coming in from there. I think I think I, I, that story of the women uh, cricketer come coach. I think that was the best story of the lot from that tour. I guess. What was that story about? Oh, did, you talking about Jared Kimber's story that he wrote? Yeah. Oh, look, that's I, one of my fa- that's one of my favorite cricketing stories about. Yeah, MLI walks on the grass. She she started as a, a waitress at Hong Kong Cricket Club, and part of their their training program, they got to learn about cricket and be shown what this sport was. That the club was based around. She learned to play cricket at one of those courses. Learned about cricket, and three years later, she's the the Hong Kong women's captain and working at Hong Kong cricket as a, a junior coach and, and school development officer. It's beautiful. Yes. Yes, yes. And also talking about the inclusion of cricket in Olympics, in 2018, I was in the UK covering the India-England series. And on the backdrop of that series, I uh, interviewed Mike Gatting, who was the president of the MCC at that point. Actually, MCC had a press conference at Lords at, during that time. And everybody, everybody was present there, Gatting, then uh, Ricky Ponting, Saurabh Ganguly. So I categorically asked them this question. Okay, fine. They were at that point. They, MCC was very much in, uh, interested in, in in the inclusion of Olympics, uh, inclusion of cricket in the Olympics. And I asked the, them the, the all the panelists this question that okay, fine. If the some of the nations are not interested to send their team in the Olympics, why can't we go uh, go without them? Basically, I I got that point that from commercial point of view and everything, they need India. But on the backdrop of that MCC meeting, I personally interviewed Mike Gatting, and he said that he has con- he has like he, he is very optimistic that of, about the inclusion of cricket in the Olympics in the 2028. Uh, also, he mentioned that he convinced the Indian board about sending their women's team in the 2022 Commonwealth Games in Birmingham. So I think still there is a ray of hope, I guess. Let's take a quick break on the podcast. Uh, do stay with us. Welcome back to the cricketnews.com podcast. We're in conversation with Tim Cutler and Sandeepan Panerjee. So I think the overarching question is, you know, how do we grow the sport beyond the 12 full members of the ICC today? How do we encourage the growth of the game uh, and ensure teams emerge from countries that are not so financially affluent so that they benefit from the globalized game and uh, the benefits that come with it? What's your take on that, Tim? Um, where have we fallen short so far in making that happen? It just sounds like cricket maintained its elitist um, an exclusionary nature, which it, it unfortunately has done in the past, and it really came back to bite um, cricket's future. And there were lots of good people involved now, but I think it's really a, a hangover from its past when really now there's some amazing stories of inclusion and in some of the clubs that have grown out of that. And because Ch- Hong Kong has changed so much with so many migrants from, from South Asia changing the the, the collective um uh, makeup of the the ethnicities of, of, of Hong Kong. There, there are so many great stories, but it's unfortunately cricket was so far behind. And with the sports like basketball and soccer getting more and more popular there, and the connection to to Europe and the the English Premier League and also America with the NBA and NFL, it was just, it's just continuing to fight a, a really tough battle. 
You know, the turn of the the century before the 1900s USA was one of the stronger teams and if it wasn't for being excluded because it wasn't part of the um, um, part of the British Empire anymore then instead of having Australia England and South Africa we could have had the USA being part of that of one of the first test teams and who knows where the game could be now you know baseball used to be played between innings in cricket matches to, as a bit of entertainment and don't get me wrong the connection to cricket and, and, Brit- and Britain may have been too much for the game in uh, those early days but Soccer's no different. Football is a British sport as well. So how has football been able to go to the masses? And there's a there's a story behind that as well that cricket hasn't. I think, you know, the story in Hong Kong is not dissimilar or sorry, it's not with a similar outcome as the story in so many other places in the world. Real Madrid, um, no, no, sorry, AC Milan was originally started as a multi-sport club with cricket being its main sport. And we've seen that in, in South American uh, in Argentina as well. So, look, cricket probably only has itself to blame, to be honest. A few while back, team was, uh, you know, team was talking about how cricket has hampered because of not more, not many indigenous male cricketers coming into the Hong Kong cricket. But it's not the same in everywhere in the country, especially the success story of PNG. I think that is, that is amazing, you know? Uh, absolutely. And... Look, so those stories are amazing that the way that cricket has been been able to flourish in some countries and in others, it, it hasn't. And it's become more of a, let's call it a subset of, of, of the population. And I guess it goes to the, the, the strength of the sport actually growing roots and, and finding people that are coming to it locally as well as those people that have moved to the country or are not from there that are in it as well but there are some also some great stories if we're talking about local development and and i'm not a big one for for focusing on on ethnic backgrounds but there's some great great stories you know thailand women's t20 world cup if they weren't everyone's second favorite or if most favorite team by the end of the event the way that they played the game and the way that story is developed then you know you you probably don't have a heart because that that's what cricket can be um nigeria making the the under 19 world cup and also getting through to the the t20 world cup qualifiers um and they're this are the the heroes of that that we know about, but there are also some some great work being done. The likes of Indonesia, there are eighty thousand people playing there now as well. They're tapping into the local community across cultures and, and customs. Um, but that that's the key thing, isn't it? You've got to get into a local population because otherwise, you, your game doesn't have any lifespan because it's only going to going to live as long as the people who are playing it are playing it, just like in Papua New Guinea, which is a which is a great example. But Papua New Guinea have their own challenges in growing the sport outside those couple of little pockets. You know, they've still got six and a half million people that could all be playing cricket, and they've got all these new grounds being built using the money from the World Cup Legacy Fund and the Australian government and uh, Cricket Australia and Cricket New Zealand have all put money together to be growing ground, so they've still got room to grow, and they've already got over 200,000 people playing the game. So hopefully they're the next team we start hearing about growing because they've definitely got the passion for the game. You mentioned earlier in the podcast that you know you do not see a big impact on these nations. Um, however, if you take Afghanistan's case, for example, um, the BCCI does a whole lot of hand-holding with these guys. Um in a post-COVID-19 time, obviously there'll be a bit of revenue loss for the likes of India and all of the and all of the big guys. Do you do you reckon there could be a problem with some of the money coming into associate nations from the big guys post in in post-COVID-19 times? Because remember, it's all it's going to be even more expensive to host uh, you know the bigger events. 
Well, I, I, again, I think this is the advantage that associate cricket has. You know, uh, the the situation that they've had to deal with in their time beforehand probably means that they won't have these concerns after. Um, you know, the likes of Cricket Australia have to, you know, I know the game is ultimately owned by the states and Cricket Australia respond, um, represents them, but they've got to pay money to the states and that money's got to filter down to run associations and, and competitions. I think it's the the fact that not, not as much money needs to filter down from these associates means there's less of a risk. And like I said, with the majority of funding coming from the ICC, as long as the ICC has the funds and STAR are paying the funds um, and those amounts don't change, it should be okay. I think team has uh, team has like pointed out a very you know good point that I think yes the kind of bad days I would rather say associate cricket associate and affiliate cricket has seen before I think they will survive this some of the other sports might see a bit uh, you know see a bit downfall at at that point uh, cricket can catch up and you know can um, what should I say can attract the uh, local population the indigenous people and and obviously the uh, people who are already involved and more with the, uh, I think, in these countries. You know, we're talking about China and the way that um, cricket should be developing itself in China. You already have a, a world superpower um, that is a cricket nation. I think this is India's chance to really take a step forward with the game, create a bigger pie for their slice to be worth even more. The ICC received $2 billion for eight years of rights from 2015 to 2023 for their World Cup. The BCCC, sorry, the BCCI made over $2.1 billion last year alone. This is a chance for the ICC and India to work together to have a egalitarian funding model. Look at what FIFA does. They give $1.5 million to, to every member. This is a chance for cricket to, to change the conversation to become a, a truly global sport. So for everything we're talking about, numbers of teams in World Cups, development targets and Indigenous cricketers, this won't happen without the sport support of the big guys. And I'd like to think it's it's a dream that the big guys could look at this opportunity at actually making cricket a global sport that it can be. This episode ko sunne ke liye aapka bahut bahut dhaniwad. Thank you so much for listening to the cricketnews.com podcast. अगर आपको हमारा शो पसंद आया देन प्लीज प्रेस सब्सक्राइब सो यू डोंट मिस आउट ऑन एनी ऑफ आर लेटेस्ट एपिसोड्स टेक केयर ऑफ यूर सेल्स बी काइंड टू अदर्स एंड फॉर योर डेली डोज ऑफ क्रिकेट न्यूज विजिट क्रिकेट न्यूज यू मेड इट वेरी सिंपल फॉर यू क्रिकेट न्यूज डॉट कॉम सी यू सुन बाय इस हब हॉपर ओरिजिनल को सुनने के लिए आपका शुक्रिया अगर आप भी अपना पॉडकास्ट लॉन्च करना चाहते हैं तो हब हॉपर स्टूडियो वेबसाइट पे रजिस्टर करें और एक मिनट के अंदर अंदर अपना खुद का पॉडकास्ट लॉन्च करें यही नहीं स्टूडियो देता है आपको पूरी आजादी कहीं भी कभी भी अपना पॉडकास्ट लॉन्च करने की सिर्फ तीन आसान स्टेप्स में तो साथ में अपना पॉडकास्ट शुरू करने के लिए तैयार जस्ट हॉप ऑन हब हॉपर सिंपली कॉन्टेंट